mi gente, welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. This is your host, Natalie Sofia, and this community was born from the need to create a space for Peruvian immigrants to come together, to support each other, to learn from each other, and to document our stories. The stories our guests share with us are deeply personal and paint a new portrait of what it means to be a Peruvian immigrant. I hope you receive these stories with an open heart and an open mind. So let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Alpha Foods. Having a morning routine can increase your energy, productivity, and positivity. My morning routine includes journaling and making myself a flavorful cup of Peruvian coffee. Alpha Foods signature coffee comes all the way from the rich soil of Peru with full flavor, smooth medium body, and a delicate sweet completion. Alpha Foods organic Peruvian coffee is sustainably and ethically sourced. Visit alpafoods.com to purchase your Peruvian organic coffee and other Peruvian superfoods such as maca and cacao powder, and coming soon, lugma powder and quinoa. Enjoy the exceptional taste of Alpha Foods organic Peruvian coffee while supporting a Peruvian owned business. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to episode 51. This is the second half of my conversation with Josie Salgado. If you haven't listened to episode 50, I would highly encourage you to listen to that episode first as we uh, continue the conversation here. On this episode, we talk about toxic masculinity. We talk about being the first daughter of immigrant parents, as well as burnout culture. I hope you enjoy the episode. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please be sure to share with us in social media using the hashtag Peruvians of USA. All right, here's our conversation. So let's talk about toxic masculinity. This is something that came to mind because I was reading the book by Prisca Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez. Her most recent book is called Brown, For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts. I read this book, I think a month or so ago. And she, has a t- and she has a chapter on toxic masculinity and she talks about how it was really her dad and her brother who mm-hmm. kind of embodied this for her growing up. And she, the way she talked about, you know, she loves them because they are her family, but the sort of uh, trauma that perhaps developed because of the way they treated her, her mother, like the girls in the family, right? And it just made me think about my own experience with masculinity or machismo in my family mm-hmm. and how resentful I can be of the male figures in my family for quote unquote simple things like not picking up after they eat dinner to even mm-hmm. put the dishes in the sink and expecting just like the females and the family to do that. I mm-hmm. guess like within our culture, how do we how do we forgive the male figures in our family for, I'm just going to say it, their oppression? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when I read this, when, when, I, when I heard and read that, I was like, wow, it's loaded. It's so loaded. Well, you know, yes, I, it's something that I actually recently was, was reflecting on. And I think I, I made a post on, on, on our Instagram about like apology and, you know, historical traumas, historical, historical, just wrong, 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 wrong doings within the psychological field and all of that. So, but the, the reflection was on, on apology and, and our own healing is not, does not lay on someone's apology. We really have to understand that 
that might, that apology might never come. And so how do we navigate through things that have happened and experiences that we've had without getting that apology? At the same time, taking accountability and getting an apology as a starting point is so powerful and it can be so powerful. Understanding from that, from that party perspective that they did something wrong, that there is something that, that did happen. It, it really is powerful, not only for them, but also for the person that's receiving that accountability statement or that apology. Again, that is the starting point. What follows and, and you know, the discussions that I've had is, is action. You know, what can you do then? So I'm saying all of that to say that how do we forgive? We do have to, I'm going to use the word, word radical a lot, I think, through, throughout these points, because it, it is really important that we understand that not necessarily, it's not necessarily complete, complete forgiveness, but it's really understanding that and humanizing that person for what they did. Of course, context is important and you want to go on a case by case because I'm, I'm talking in general, but let's understand that a lot of things you, you have to see it in, in detail and what happened and, and how that was for you as a person that, that something wrong happened to. Just to give examples from the book, you know, Riska talked about how her brother was so protective of her and her younger sister and their virginity. And like how that was going to bring a lot of shame into the family if they lost it, right? And also just from a domestic perspective, as I mentioned before, she also talked about how she didn't want to be like her mother when she was growing up. And it wasn't until she became an adult and had a heart-to-heart -heart conversations with her mother that she understood that her mother did the best that she could with what she had. And even though yeah. she was a stay-at-home mom, or say uh, that she didn't mean it was like less than, right? It didn't mean that her mother was less than her, who's a professional writer, or, you know, had a, had like a, a career. And that spoke to me as well, because mm -hmm. even though my mom taught me to be very independent, very like, not to say, not to say, but I guess that's attitude, yet she was one, right? Yet she was in different ways. Right. Right. She was. And so like she raised me not to be a housewife. I'm not trying to disparage that term, but it was kind of the message I got when I was younger. But she was a housewife. Right. And so and then it wasn't until I became older and I understood that there were so many barriers for her. There were so many barriers, not only from our society, but also perhaps just that our culture and how machista it could be. And there were certain expectations that my dad had of her that you know, it was hard for her to really open up and really like flourish into whatever personal and professional accomplishment she wanted to achieve for herself. Right. And so, and so when I, when I see that I, I wasn't held back, right. Like, even though I saw that within my family, I don't feel like I was held back. I went to college, I, I developed a career, but thinking that my mom didn't have that opportunity hurts me and it makes me resentful of some of the men in my family. And, you know, now that I'm married, I understand her experience from a different perspective as well. And my husband is so supportive of my career, wants to see me grow from a personal professional development, you know, and, and, and to imagine that not everybody has this. Yeah. I don't know if I'm an empath or what, but it hurts me to 
think that my mom, grandmother, aunts, cousins, other women that I don't know about don't have this level of support and they're just feeling stuck. And so then that makes me resentful of men. <laughs> so that's why I bring up this topic of like forgiveness, sure. particularly in our families, right? And and to your point, you you know, um, we do have to humanize them because they are a product of their experience. And I think that's such a valuable feedback because, you know, the men in my family were children, were little boys at one point that perhaps they had to toughen up, quote unquote, because of whatever circumstances they had, right? Yeah. And it's not to justify it, but to understand it and to yes, uh, show them grace, but also understand my own boundaries within my interactions with them, right? Definitely. You said it so beautifully. And 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 that's where I was gonna get to that I think it's 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 a radical understanding that we cannot have all of these expectations from them, but we can definitely have boundaries. Right. We can we can have boundaries, but I think more than that, although we can go in and really work on repeating to ourselves that okay, that's that's what happened and even if, if there's behavior that continues, you know, there is a human behind that person. Again, I'm not going to get tired of saying context is important. So, you know, details is important, but in general, not having that, all of those expectations at the same time. And I say this to my clients too, it really lays on the type of relationship, you know, setting boundaries and not having expectations and just leaving it at that. It really lays on the type of relationship that you have that you want to build with that person so for example if we're talking about our fathers and the male figures in, in our lives and they're close to us we want to have conversations about hey you know it's the, the these are the things that i'm noticing these are the things that are that are coming up of course if it's okay with you also you know you want to honor yourself as well but that's why I'm saying it really lays on the type of relationships that you're wanting to build. If you're wanting to build a relationship where it's just cordial, you know, you don't care about their behavior, even if they do it, it's a little annoying, but you, you set your boundary and you're not going to see them for, the, for another year, you might not want to have the conversation. But it is, if it is really important for you to understand, to then be able to humanize that person and really connect to that person as to do they notice that they're doing these behaviors? Like, why are they not picking up after they eat? Like, what's going on? Then you can have those conversations. And believe me, they're going to be pretty hard and overwhelming at the beginning. The more you have those conversations, it's like building muscle. Because then you both will be comfortable. You both can reflect a lot as to your own experiences. And then there will be understanding flowing back, back and forth. And when I speak about this, I also do think of my own personal experiences similar with, with machismo and how that's so, that's so ingrained in not just machismo, but also, I don't know if you have heard the term Marianismo. So Marianismo, right? It's, it's, it's the el martir, right? The, the self-sacrificing. Self-sacrificing mother, usually you will see it in, 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 in our mothers and maybe those who, who identify as female, the, yeah, self-sacrificing. I'm doing this for you. Now, beautiful and all of sometimes that does come off as guilt tripping, right? That, that can 
generate guilty feelings for then the person that they're speaking to, right? So these two forces, they have a lot of historical, historical things and historical reasons. We would say, you know, why they worked at a certain point because, you know, males were were considered the leaders or of, of the family, the head of the family at a certain point. Women did not have voice. Like all of these things gain traction, but it, it starts any term or anything that, that that has happened in the past. Let me reframe that. When we talk about machismo and marianismo, it worked at a certain point. That's why it's done, you know, for whatever reason. And something that you said earlier is it's modern times, right? Things have changed and things continue to change. And I think something that our generation could do is one, what I was explaining before, not, not having such, not, not expecting all of these things from a person, but then what is the type of relationship on my, that I want to build with that person? Can I have those tough conversations? It has not been until I was an adult that I understood why my grandfather would have so much violence why my grandfather hit my grandmother and why he did what he did to, you know, also a lot of violence and aggression towards my mom, towards my uncles and aunts. And it's because his own experiences, how his parents were. And it's not until he's now 93 that he is speaking about that. He is speaking about he had to walk miles without shoes. Because his mother sent him to do something and he will go out, he will go on crying about that. You know, so it's, it is an intergenerational transmission of trauma. And, but I don't want it to, to get so dark, even though it is very true. With that, there's also an intergenerational transmission of strength, things that you learn, wisdom that it gets passed on. But I think that trauma aspect that gets passed on lead us to where we might be at with our families right now. Something that you're describing, right? That feeling of, you use the word, what is the word that you used? No, for how you felt with the male figures in your life. Um, or how you feel with the male figures in your I life. I guess resentful. I feel resentful. resentful. Yeah, I feel resentful that. Yeah. I guess like I have expectations of them being more enlightened than they wow. are. But everybody's journey is different, right? And so there's also given grace. And I do agree that you have to think about the relationship that you want to have with that person and if it's worth the investment of having those tough conversations. But I also think that it needs to be from both sides because it can't just be like us wanting to repair those relationships and then they are not willing to have those conversations, right? But I love that you brought up Marianismo because it's kind of like, it's a nice segue into the next topic, which was that, you know, being the first daughter of, of immigrant family, we all seen the memes. I think it was like, I don't know which account shared it, but it was like this girl, like typing fast in the computer and saying like, scheduling appointments, saving passwords, reviewing documents. And then it's the the mom, the dad, sipping tea, watching TV. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you didn't see that? Uh, it's like hilarious because it's, it's the, the soundtrack is like that brushing feeling like, oh, gotta get this done, gotta get this done, you know? And like the first daughter is just like, gotta get this done. And like the whole family literally is just watching TV, like letting her do all of this. And so 
Wow. So I, I do think this is a common experience for a lot of us daughters of immigrants, particularly the oldest, and where we take on a lot of responsibilities. We take on the responsibility of translating, being our family's first translator, being the messenger in many ways of like, what is this new culture and world that we live in and come tell us how to navigate it. And then when we're like eight, 10 year olds, we're asked to translate legal documents where we're, and then they yell at you for not knowing where <laughs> some word is. Okay. Excuse me. I'm only eight. <laughs> yeah. I saw the movie Encanto, which is, it's based in Colombia, but it's of this mm -hmm. family. And one of the songs that impacted me the most is called Surface Pressure. She's expressing the amount of pressure that she's feeling. I'll read a little excerpt from that song. I'm not going to sing it because I don't have talent in singing. <laughs> but she says, give it to your sister. Your sister's older. Give her all the heavy things we cannot shoulder. Who mm -hmm. am I if I cannot run with the bull? So basically. If we cry, if I cry. <laughs> yes. I'm here. Just, just right. It's just like, and you know, she talks about like, I guess if I were to pick under another line that spoke to me was, let me see. There's a line particularly that I was like, whoa. Oh, it says again, another, this is towards the end. It says, give it to your sister and never wonder if the pressure you would have pulled, if the pressure, if the same pressure would have pulled you under. Who am I if I don't have what it takes? No cracks, no breaks, no mistakes, no pressure. And so, <laughs> can we all take a breath? Yeah. Uh, so I would add to the audience, please go look up the song. It's called, again, Surface Pressure from the movie Encanto. And if you're the oldest daughter of an immigrant family, you will relate a lot to this. It might make you cry, so get some tissue. But just like, you know, like this, this pressure that we all have, we... Part of the pressure is put on us by family. Part of the pressure is put on by us by ourselves. I know I put a lot of pressure on myself to mm -hmm. think ahead, be the safety net for my family. Um, and my brother and my parents could easily say, you don't have to. Like, you don't have to worry about us. Like, we're good. And I still will try to make sure that I can be that safety net for them. Like, right. And so... It's kind of that self-sacrificing Marianismo, you know, that it's ingrained in our culture. But I guess like, how do we stop striving to be the perfect Peruvian daughter? <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I, and, I, and I mentioned to you before, I think before we, we started recording too, a powerful song, right? I was like, oh, okay. Because I, I also, I, listen, I get nervous with presentations. But I got the hang of, of them, you know, doing it in person. But with COVID and having to do everything virtual, it just, it gets pretty nerve-wracking <laughs> from my end. So I'm saying that to say that sometimes that pressure shows up in different ways. And definitely for me, when I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a conversation or, or do some sort of presentation, all of these doubts is like, what's going on? So, but again, I'm saying that to say that, you know, I think it's really important to definitely state that everyone has different types of pressures at any point in their lives. And even, even if they are the middle child, the younger child, there's going to be, but I think we can speak about being the old, oldest, the oldest, the oldest daughter. I am also the oldest daughter in my family. 
in my immediate family, I have a younger brother and not taking away from the pressure that he might be feeling, but we can, we can speak about that because that is our lived experience. And yeah, I, I definitely also share that with you that even though sometimes it's not so recognized, I feel like I, I do, there is a lot of pressure that comes from our parents and you're right. Easier said than done, right? They're like, oh, you worry about it this too much. You're thinking about it too much, or you're too complicated. And you're like, mm, no, like we're just having to juggle a, a lot of things sometimes that unfortunately does not get recognized. But I think something that I mentioned before that I was going to use the word radical a lot. It, it is like a radical a radical understanding, similar to the other topic that we're talking about with, with toxic masculinity, it is setting those boundaries. One is having those conversations, but for ourselves, we have to also learn how to prioritize things, you know, and I'm talking in general because one-on-one certain things might look different from person to person, you know, but prioritizing, prioritizing and honoring yourself in in the goals that you have it is really important it is going to balance you of course our priorities tend to be our family our priorities and and on one on a one-on-one basis you know we let's say when we're talking about let's say you being in therapy or you doing your own reflection you have to reflect on are they capable of is is the sacrifices or are the sacrifices that you're doing right now things that you really want to do or is it that they're needing that because sometimes it just so happens that they might not need that, that they are okay. And you do deserve to allow your family to also figure things out on their own, that you don't have to be there all the time. And, and I'm saying this, and I know it's easier said than done. I had to also recognize that, and I had to do that radical repetition in my brain, reminders in my brain, like, hey, you don't always have to be there for your brother, even though I want to. But it's like, allow him to, he he could do it. Allow my mom. And, and, and sometimes it's not that they've been asking. They're not asking anything. You're just there, <laughs> hovering. <laughs> and, you know, you have to also honor those aspects about yourself. You know, just take it back. Feel it back a little bit. It's so funny because, like, I think it, in the American culture, they talk about hovering parents. And I think maybe the helicopter parents. Oh, you know, the helicopter parents. I think maybe for immigrant children, it's like the helicopter came. <laughs> the daughter. The daughter, the helicopter daughter that won't let her family figure it yeah. out. But, but I think that's such great advice that kind of letting them figure it out themselves, too, right? There's a certain point where you have to live your life. It doesn't mean you forget your family, but it means your priorities shift. And it's also the way I had to do it was think about it from an empowerment perspective, right? I can't go and solve every problem my family has. You have a savior all the time, yeah. right? And one, they don't want me there all the time, right? But like, let me empower them to do it themselves. Like give, give them the knowledge, give them the experience, be like, you know, somebody they can ask questions to, but not do it for them. And I didn't realize that it was, this was something I was feeling until I decided to go out of state for undergrad and I was like I need to go out of state I need to go away from my family mm. and then once I was out of state I was like wow I needed 
I needed not to right. be that. If I, I needed that space, I needed it to be not that person who is like always like, hey, translate this. Hey, translate that. Hey, we had these questions. And when I actually took that space to go to undergrad away from my family out of state, my brother, who's younger than me, rose up to the occasion and became, wow. became that person for my parents. And so as we grow into adulthood, I no longer feel that pressure as much as I used to. Now I feel like I had, you know, my brother who is like there to sort of shoulder the weight of some of the, the, you know, the family burden that we have for our parents or whatever. They don't want to call it burden, but I guess that's, that's the word I'm looking at the lyrics. (laughs) So so yeah, to any like older sister out there, like definitely we understand, (laughs) we understand what you're going through. Listen to the song, cry your eyes out. It's okay. I, I cried in the car. Listen to the song. Um, a lot of these feelings might be just from our own childhood, right? More than adulthood. And and definitely, you know, live your life and, and try to enable others, empower them to solve their own problems. You don't have to be so involved. Yeah. Yeah. For, for there to be a solution. Right. Right. Yeah. No, and that's, that's for sure. All right. So as we transition to the next topic, it's all kind of connected, right? Like family and, and like feeling the burn. The next topic I want to touch with you was about burnout culture. You know, again, as oldest daughter, we can feel that burnout because not only are we being pulled in the family direction, but we have our own lives. We have our careers. We have our family in Peru that are trying to get you know, connect with us and stay in touch with us. And and then we live in a country where working is a sense of pride that you have for being the, the person who's always busy, the person who's always working, who always has different side hustles. Um, and I guess I, you know, one of the, my reflections for 2021 was that I, I literally could not tell if I was sleepy, tired, hungry. Like I couldn't, oh, wow. I, I did not, I did not know what I was feeling. Like, I know I was feeling like something or stressed out. So like, I almost lost touch with my body and what my body was telling me, mm-hmm. right? Like, so I was like, am I tired? I don't know. Am I sleepy? I don't, I don't know. Am I hungry? Like, I, I don't even know if I'm stressed. It was all these combinations just because this, this year was so busy for me. And so I, long time ago, read an article which I'll link it in the episode notes, but they talked about the five regrets of the dying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a doctor. <laughs> so this is a person who, who worked, I think, in the hospital, you know, and, and she wrote a book about just as she helped people transition into the next phase of, you know, whatever's out there. She wrote about the five regrets that people would usually share with her as they're transitioning. And I will share this with the audience and then you and I can talk about it. The first one is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. That was one of the regrets of the dying. The second is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. The third is, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. The fourth is, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And the fifth regret is I wish I had let myself be happier. Mm -hmm. So none of this says, I wish I had more side hustles. I wish I worked longer. I wish none of that. It's about Uh, money or nobody said, I wish I had more money. And so it's about letting yourself be your true self, spending time with your loved ones, expressing your feelings. And so 
you know, like just, I just shared what 2021 was for me where I didn't even know what I was feeling and I disconnected from, from friends and family. I just did not have the emotional bandwidth to, to keep those relationships up. Mm -hmm. So how do we, how do we do better in 2022 in terms of, you know, not feeling this burned out? Like, what is, what are your thoughts around that and the regrets of the dying? Yeah. I mean, it's. You know, when, when I was reading that also, I'm, of course, thinking of my grandparents, right? That the age that they're, that they're in. And I was sharing with you that my grandfather, the last few years, you know, started reflecting on maybe why he might had might have had that violence in him. What happened to him when he was younger? No one knew about this. You know, we all believe he had a wonderful childhood, but, you know, all these memories that I 90 years old 93 years old he's sharing so so hearing hearing this looking at them and and really what has transpired in our families in terms of violence you know comes up and 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 traumas and all of those things and I'm saying that to say that when I think when you're finding yourself working so much that you don't have time to to really recognize, right? Am I tired? Am I hungry? What's, what's going on? There has to be, something has to give, right? There has to be that radical day where you kind of have to stop and say, what is going on? Why am I working so much? Is it that I need to? Because I mean, for everybody is different, right? Maybe they, maybe someone that works two jobs, they have to do that because of their circumstances. And that's unfortunate. And, you know, I can't sit here and say, well, you have to just have one job so you can be better. No, because they have to do that. Or because of their circumstances, they have to make that money. Then maybe they earn really low. So all of these external things come into play. But what I wanted to say is that when we're finding ourselves feeling so burned out, we want to recognize and stop and recognize and see, okay, why am I doing this? Is it that I'm running away from something? Do I not want to think about something? And sometimes avoidance is all right. Sometimes that is the way that we live our lives and we just continue to accomplish things. But are we running away from something that is that we're carrying and continue to carry throughout all these things? And it just things pile up. Are we doing it? Why are we doing it? It's kind of like the point I'm trying to make. Why are we feeling burnt out? And once you recognize that, and you're honest with yourself, you can then take a look at the holes in your life. Okay, clearly, even if I have one job, I will be okay. And maybe I just want to have two, three, four, five jobs because I don't want to go back home and, and talk to my family because it generates something in me, you know? If you don't want to do that, all right, where else can you reflect on that? How else can you remove those things from your body, from you within outwardly maybe therapy maybe maybe talking to a religious leader you know sometimes that's helpful maybe if you're more spiritual you know are there other people that you can connect with so it really when you stop and you do that radical stuff and you ask yourself those questions and you're honest with yourself I think the path will get clearer as to where you could go then and then, and then from there, you will change things that you're doing. Again, maybe that for you might mean 
you then have to find one job that generates more and it will be okay for you because that will cover for everything. Maybe for you, it's not even about the job. Maybe for you, it's more of what's going on at work. I'm sorry. It's not about the work and the job. It's what's going on at home. What is going on at home that's keeping you away? And if that is the issue, then what can you do to make that better? But I'm saying all of that. And of course, it sounds easy, right? Like just recognize and, and you'll get there. Time, time, intention, and attention. It's really what, what you can give. And throughout that is the compassion that maybe you have recognized that you're burned out, but there's nothing in the immediate time that you, nothing that you could do. So how do you navigate through that? compassion and empathy for yourself you know you went to add something yeah yeah no that spoke a lot to me I, I do think there's a point though that you get to where taking one day off is not enough like I know I took a day off here there and it wasn't until I really took a week off that I even began to feel normal again. And I love journaling. So I journal a lot to try to figure that, try to figure some thoughts out and some feelings. And that's been helpful. I wanted to add sometimes, sometimes it's also sharing what you're going through with someone. And I have to do like a little disclaimer, you know, depending on who it is, if it's your close friend or your, even your partner, we also have to keep in mind that they might not be in the mental space to take all of that. And it, I think it will be so great to normalize asking, you know, I want to share something with you. Are you in the mental space to, to hear it? And I don't want any advice. I just want you to hear. I think that's great advice because some people like our, our close friends and family might not be, to your point, at that mindset to be able to help you process things, right? And that doesn't mean it's not it just means talk through it so mm -hmm. uh, yeah but as I think about 2022 and sort of what the life I want to lead in 2022 I'm, I'm just thinking through my values thinking through my priorities my health is very important I think health mm -hmm. is, is something that you can't automate you can't outsource and so it's going to need your your investment of time money and energy I think other things you can automate and outsource if that's something that's possible, right? But yeah, it's, I guess to anybody out there with feeling burned out, you know, like, I don't think there's a quick solution. It's, it's right. like, it takes trying again and trying again to self-care in different ways, right? Yeah. Some, a bath is great for others. Taking a vacation is better, right? So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, taking your time, right? Like I just wanted to add, like, take your time and don't get discouraged if you try to adjust something in your life and that doesn't go well. Know that it's really trial on trial. You know, like not even trial and error. It's like really trial on trial. You just continue until you get to a point yeah. where it's better manageable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So I have a couple of wrap-up questions for you and they, they're not necessarily like fire questions. We can <laughs> spend a little time on them, but as you know, as I, I guess, I love to read. I love, love reading. And so I'm always asking people, what is your favorite book and why? Because I might add it to my list. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my God, so many, so many good books. I, I think I have not been able to finish the last few books that I've written. That I have started reading. The last one that I'm not finished is 
but I I, I want to get to this and then I'll 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 say the one that I I know for sure. I finished it and I read it again. But this book is so great. It's is called How to Be an Anti Racist by Ibram X Kendi, and so 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 insightful to read. So I really recommend that. The my favorite book that I I had this book even since before. And before, before I started college, I got to say, and then it really gave me a lot of perspective. It's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Wow. I am. So my friend just mailed me that book for my birthday. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, so you're, that's the, oh the, so it's the second time somebody mentions it to me, which it means I probably should read it, which I will because she's yeah. having that book. Yeah. So tell me about that book. Yeah. So it's by Susan Jeffers, PhD. And, you know, it really gave me a perspective. So there's so many just really good, insightful information as to how to navigate through. But one of the things that it really, it, it hovers around my mind a lot is that we have different categories in our lives. And when sometimes we feel, we feel fearful about something, we have so many doubts. Is because we're thinking of one category as the end all be all. And if we fail at that, like that's it, like we're ruined. And even if you might not clearly see that thought, if you explore that fear, it gets to that point of, you know, I'm going to be a failure or I'm not going to be as productive. I mean, all of these things that we can talk at length about, but there's a lot of fears and a lot of doubts. But when you think of your life as having different categories, and you give the attention to each category, then some of those doubts when you're having a presentation, let's say for me, that gets me a little bit nervous. Or when you're thinking that that one thing, when that one thing is giving you all of those fears and all of those doubts, we have to remember that, hey, there's all these other categories. I still have a relationship with my partner. I have a relationship with my family. I have... And, and I do well at the work that I do. And I'm, I'm a good friend to this one friend. And I have, you know, all of these other categories. I am a teacher. I'm a mother. I'm a sister. I have all of these things. So those doubts really just don't hover around that one specific thing. But like I said, there's so many other good insightful things, but that has been something that has stayed in my mind from the first time I read this book. That's awesome. And then, and then, of course, honoring the the title, right, of feel the fear and do it anyway, it really is empowering because sometimes we feel fear and we might think, oh, that's it. I felt it. Yeah. Ya no mas. Bye. No, it's okay. It's recognizing that I am feeling fearful. This is nerve-wracking for me. And so what? I'm still going to do it. And let's see how it goes, right? So feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I will definitely be reading that book and I'll link it on our show notes. All right, some reflection questions next. I'll say these two so I give you time to think about it. First one is, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your 18-year-old self, right? You're in the cusp of adulthood. You just wrapped up your high school education. What would you tell your 18-year-old self? And then the follow-up question to that, now if you can go to the future... Or, well, not go to the future, but what do you think will make your 80-year-old self proud of you? Mm -hmm. 
You know, when I read the 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 eighty year old, wow, that was like, oh man, wow. I wonder, I wonder how where I would be. But my, what would I tell my eighteen year old self? So many things. Something that I didn't share, and I actually wanted to share when we were talking about toxic masculinity, is that my biological father. I knew him when I was months old. I don't have recollection of knowing him when I was really young up until when I think I was probably five, six, when I, when I was going to come here to the U.S., we had to get his signature. So I do have a few memories of just meeting him and, and that's it. And then, and then another memory at nine years old. And then I came to the, and then no, no connection with him. And then when I came to the U.S., I think I spoke to him on the phone when I turned 12 or 15, just briefly, you know, who is this person? You know, I, I knew he was my biological father, but didn't really have any, any connection, but it wasn't until last year and also through my own reflection, my own therapeutic process and journey that I looked for him and connected with him. And we haven't had, we haven't been able, and I have not, he lives in Peru, so we have not had like a deep conversation as to what happened, although I would like to know. And maybe he'll be watching this and maybe he'll understand what we're talking about. But, you know, there is that connection now. So what I would tell my 18-year-old self is, you know, at that time, I he was not even a thought, but I wish I could have started my reflection and my own understanding a lot sooner. And I I would tell my 18-year-old self, go to therapy, <laughs> journal a lot more. I did journal, but not a lot. But, you know, find a way where you could just, you know, have your thoughts, bring it out verbally or bring it on paper more and connect with the parts of you that, you know, get, just sometimes it gets easy to move on from. But yeah, that, that will be it. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned the, the 80, right? The 80 year What? You said, you, what would my 80-year-old self be proud of? Or like, what would make your 80-year-old self proud? So I'll give you an example of what I recently thought about, right? Mm -hmm. So I recently thought about, so I committed to my fitness journey two years ago. It's going to be about two years where I committed to lifting weights and, and going more regularly. So my body has shifted change. It's gotten stronger. And I'm like, I'm about to do a photo shoot. I'm like thinking I'm, you know, contemplating the idea of like a fitness photo shoot, like kind of working out and just seeing those, capturing those, you know, like changes and, and capturing some muscles that I have now, you know? And so I think my 80 year old self could look at these photos, you know, and be like, yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I was strong. I was a strong lady, like, you know, and so that's one thing I thought about, you know, so like to give an idea to the audience, but like for you, what did you think will make your 80 year old self proud of you? Yeah. I, I think it would be the connections that I have with those close to me and just like deep, wholesome connections. And I don't mean it in like a networking career type of way. I, I really mean the enjoyment that comes from 
being in company of those that you really wholeheartedly, wholesomely care for. And you might not have, you might not be having conversations. You might not be doing anything, but just being. So I think at years, 80 years old, or my eight year old, year old self will be proud of enjoying and being in, in, in those, in, in the company of, of, of those I, I care about. In community, having a strong community. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. Yes. Because that's yes. kind of tying it to the five regrets. That's one of the regrets, right? Not staying in touch with friends and not building that community. And that also speaks a lot to me because, as I mentioned, 2021 was just very difficult for me to mm-hmm. build a community, stay in touch with a community. And there's a lot of emotional investment that you have to put into the community that... Yeah. Sometimes after work, you're like, I'm done. Like, you know, I, I don't have any more to invest, but it's important. So, yeah, carving out the time a little bit if you can. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, last two questions. What message do you have for the Peruvian diaspora here in the US, scattered around the world? And you can say the next one in Spanish. ¿Qué mensaje tienes para los peruanos que están en Perú? Okay, so for the diaspora, I mean, something that we have been talking, we had just been talking is it's connection, you know. So really, if you can carve out time to reflect whether you continue having those connections to the region that you are from and how can you honor that that part of you, wherever wherever you are. So may that be with food, may that be with holidays that you celebrate, with that, may that be with language is... What what I would what I would say is, when you are already engaging in those things, do it intentionally, thinking of your roots. You know, thinking of your of that identity, of that identity. So it doesn't get lost in a way. You know, because again, you know, avoidance, and when you're in a different culture, a new new region. It's not that you intentionally forget. It's just sometimes it just so happens. You know, you're working, you're trying to make your your money for you, for your family, and all of these things that that life kind of brings up for you. It it is easy to just eat your lomo saltado and just you know delicious, but okay, you know. But if you can keep in mind the intentionality of when you are eating that food that connects you to when you were however old in that region it, it it's really it really transcends time and that allows you then to if you have a growing family or even for yourself to maintain that that identity so that's what i would and what i would say and you mentioned about a lot of things <laughs> so muchas 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 cosas pero yo creo que lo Lo que les quisiera dejar es eh, cuando hablaba acerca de, de mis experiencias como persona de provincia, persona eh, que, que tiene raíces quechua, uh, que soy de los Andes, que soy andina, etcétera, es a las personas que están en Perú que, que tratemos también de ser un poco más Eh, tener la mente más abierta y ser con, tener compasión y tener empatía con las personas que con la con todas las 
diferentes regiones de Perú. Eh, yo creo que cuando salimos de Perú, tenemos esa, ese orgullo de decir, oh, yo soy de Perú, eh, tenemos este tipo de comida, tenemos estos, estos lugares tan bonitos, tan lindos, y yo siento que afuera de Perú somos bien unidos, súper, súper unidos. Y creo que en Perú también hay mucha unión, hay mucha comunidad, solo que a veces, eh, por diferentes razones, por diferentes razones históricas, Um, a veces hay como esa, um, ese ras entre diferentes... I mean, look for deserving. ¿Merecemos? ¿Cómo merecemos, sí. Son todas las personas merecemos eh, ser únicos. Y que nuestra... El, el aspecto de ser único um, sea celebrado. No, es muy, muy buen mensaje para, <risa> para los peruanos en Perú, pero también en todo el mundo, ¿verdad? Um, sí. Este bueno, Joyce, muchas gracias. Uh, me ha encantado esta conversación. You know, I love the conversations. We touch on so many things. Thank you so much. Gracias. Gracias. Aprecio mucho estar aquí. Are you a small business looking to expand your digital footprint? Are you a small business looking to reach more of the Peruvian diaspora in the United States? Consider sponsoring an episode of Peruvians of USA. Peruvians of USA has launched its first sponsorship program. If you're interested, please visit peruviansofusa.com slash sponsors or send us a message on Instagram. Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I'm looking forward to connecting with you there. All right, talk to you soon. Ciao.